Well, good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time where we can come and, and worship together. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, that your spirit uh, will fill our hearts. Uh, Lord Jesus, that we would see you clearly for who you are. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the most amazing news we could ever hear in our souls and with our ears. So God, help us to see you clearly today. Help us to know you more deeply today. Help us to love you more fully today. Help us, Lord, to worship you as we encounter your word today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Continuing our journey through the book of John this morning in chapter one. This is a beautiful book that wonderfully shows us just who Jesus is and, and why he matters to each one of our lives. We can find the main purpose of the book at, at the end of the book, actually, John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us why he wrote this book. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the sent one to earth to, to save us. He is the Christ, that you will believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so, we come to God's word this morning to see who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the son of God. And it's my prayer for each one of us today that we would believe in him and have eternal life in his name. That's even the purpose of this book. We are reading in this book the very words of life. And we're seeing the beauty and wonder of Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. And by believing in him, we have life in his name. Now, as we've been working through chapter one, there's several themes being introduced here in chapter one. And we're going to see these themes drawn out and developed over the course of the book. One theme that we see is right out of the gate, John chapter one, verse one, Jesus is God. No mistake about it. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is life. Chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is light. He is the light that overcomes the darkness. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the dark, darkness has not overcome, or the darkness cannot comprehend it. Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness of this world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. We will see that in our text today. John chapter 1, verse 19. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he came to his own Israel, but his own did not receive him. We'll see that theme drawn out regularly throughout the book chapter 1 verse 11 he came to his own and his own people did not receive them you know i often tell my my children is you know when you share the gospel you it's our responsibility to share 
uh, we're not doing a sales job and like closing a deal. You know, if you look at Jesus's track record, he'd be considered a huge failure. Twelve disciples, eleven disciples, when he was when he died on the cross. It's not exactly you know the numbers that we expect to see. You know that chart didn't go up all the way like that, right? His own didn't even receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own people. We see in verse 12, chapter 1, those who believe in Jesus and receive him will become children of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe in Jesus are born of God. They're born again. Chapter 1, verse 13, they're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that grace and truth come from Jesus, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we will see these themes continue to, to build and develop throughout the book of John. Now, today we're going to look at chapter one, starting at verse 29 through 34. And this section opens with a repeat of chapter 1, verse 19, where John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And it's really the best news anyone can ever hear. He says in chapter 1, verse 19, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no better news than we, we will ever hear with our ears than that news. So look with me at chapter 1, verse 29. We'll read the, this paragraph, and then we'll work through it together. The next day, he saw Jesus. So John the Baptist is there. He's been baptized by the Jordan River. And he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so what we see here, first off, is that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. And John proclaims it boldly. John the Baptist proclaims it boldly. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now, now John... In, in the book of John, doesn't use as many direct quotations from the Old Testament as we might be used to seeing in Luke and Matthew and the other Gospels. But he uses imagery. And he's using the imagery here of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And it's so rich. And I'm going to try to help us see the beauty of this statement. And I'm going to be woefully, I'm going to fall woefully short. Because it's just so beautiful. He's pulling together several Old Testament images for us. Into this one declaration, behold, the Lamb of God. We're taken back to Genesis. 
and the story of Abraham and Isaac, if you remember that, in Genesis chapter 22, it's such a beautiful and rich story. You might remember Abraham is very old, probably near 100. He has one and only one son, Isaac, from his wife, Sarah. And God tested Abraham and told him, take your son, your only son, Isaac. You hear the similarity in the words? Your son, your only son. In the book of John, we see Jesus is God's son. He's the son of God, the only son of God, the unique one and only son of God. You see the parallel in the words being used. So in Genesis, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so when, when John the Baptist proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God, you know, in, in the Jewish mind, the Jewish person's mind standing there listening, all these images would start coming to their mind, thinking of, of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice there. And there's going to be more that I'm going to show you here in a moment. And so in their mind, they're taken back in time to this story. And so Abraham and Isaac, they go as God directed. But Isaac didn't exactly know what was going to happen. Like, okay, dad, we're going to go up to the mountain. We're going to sacrifice. All right, it sounds good. You know, take the stuff. And, but he didn't know he was going to be the sacrifice. He probably starts putting it together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire in the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? There's supposed to be a lamb for the burnt offering. And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. Now, this is a very interesting story because as we read on, you know, Isaac says, okay, God will provide the lamb. All right, that's good enough. So they go off together. This is Genesis 22, verse 7. They come to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He's probably wondering, I thought you said God was going to provide the lamb. <laughs> but I'll go along with this. Yeah, he's submitting. He's submitting. He's not a little baby either. I mean, Isaac's old enough to help out. He's, he's old enough. And he's going along with this. He's faithful as well. So he binds him up and he puts him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. He was going to go through with this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He's like, Here I am. Thank God. <laughs> I really didn't want to do this. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Now, I don't think that's an accident, and I don't think that's coincidence, and I think that was all part of God's plan. He promised God will provide the lamb, but in this moment, in this time, a ram is provided. Because the lamb is coming later. The lamb is Jesus. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So behind him was a ram. It was caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as the burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, that you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so I, I read that passage because I want us to see the similar words here in John that we see in Genesis 22. Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus as the one and only Son of of God. It is Jesus who is the ultimate Lamb of God that was provided by God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It is in Jesus that the promise to Abraham that I just read is fulfilled, and all the nations of the earth are blessed in Jesus. That's how the promise is fulfilled. So in our minds, we're taking back, we're taking back to the story. Abraham and Isaac in, in the book of Genesis. We're also taken back to the Exodus story of the Passover lamb. When he says, Jesus, behold, Jesus is the lamb of God. We think of the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, which says this, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight so that the angel of death would pass over the homes that had the blood of the lamb applied to the door of the home. We discuss that in detail as we take the Lord's Supper each week. So in our minds, the lamb of God, Jesus, takes us back to the Passover. We're also taken back to Isaiah 53, the lamb that was silent. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. God laid on Jesus all of our sins. And God's full wrath and fury for our sins was poured out on Jesus. That is how he takes away the sin of the world. And if you don't think God is angry about sin, you just go and look at uh, the book of Ezekiel. Just read the first five or six chapters of Ezekiel. We've been reading through that in the morning in our Bible study times in the morning. It's like God has wrath for sin. There's fury. He uses the word fury over sin. And in our culture, we just kind of think, oh, we're all kind of pretty good people. And, you know, sin's not a big deal. And 
you know, God's just going to kind of brush that aside and we don't have to be accountable for it or have consequences for it. But that is not the case. God has wrath and fury for sin. And it was poured out on Jesus Christ. So that by faith in him, we could, we could have life. So we're taken back to Isaiah 53. We're also taken back to Isaiah 45, verse 22. Because John says, look, behold. That word behold means look with your eyes. Look at him. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Look at him. And Isaiah 45, 22 says, look to Jesus for salvation. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. All the world look to me. Not all of Israel. Not all of Judah. Let all the world look to me for salvation. Isaiah 45, 22. I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth. I will never go back on my word. You know, we as people, we go back on our word all the time. We'll say we're going to do something and then, well, it was not convenient or it didn't work out. And like we go back on our word. God never goes back on his word. Always keeps his promises. Every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me, says the Lord. So, oh, my brothers and sisters, I pray that we will all look to Jesus for salvation today. That we will look to Jesus. Now, now looking doesn't take any work, does it? It doesn't take any work at all. It isn't lifting your foot or your finger. All we have to do is look. You don't need to go to college to learn to look. You don't have to have you know, the biggest paycheck to be able to look. You may be the biggest fool in the world, and yet you can still look. You don't have to have a six-figure salary to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. Isaiah says, look unto me. Many of us are looking to ourselves. There's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourself. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him later. Jesus Christ says, look to me. Some of you say, well, I got to wait for the spirit to work in my life. I'm not ready yet. You have no business with that just now. Just look to Christ. The text tells us, behold, look to me. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's sweating and great drops of blood. Look to Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. Look to Jesus. He's dead and buried. Look to Jesus. He's risen again. Look to Jesus. He ascends into heaven. Look to Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, poor sinner. Look to Jesus today. Look to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist tells us to do here. Look at Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How often are we excited by worldly things? I was just driving down the road yesterday, and you know, Noah and I are coming back from this football game. He's like, look at that Corvette. Look at that Challenger. Now look at that car. Look at that car. We're like, 
I'm almost getting in wrecks looking at all these cars, right? It's like, man, that was amazing. That's awesome. Like, got I oh, turned in the wrong parking lot looking at these cars. <laughs> like, we're often excited about worldly things. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this house, or look at you know, look at our bank account, or look at this. You know, look at my new guitar, and on and on we go. How much more should we proclaim with excitement to this world? Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's beautiful. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can't, can't you just sense John's excitement here? I've been reading this passage over and over again throughout the week, and I came up with this you know, little summary. There he is. Look. Look at Jesus, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I've been talking about. I know it's him. When I baptized him, I saw the spirit descend on him, just like God said it would. He's the real deal. I imagine John saying things like this. Now, I baptized you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Far greater than my baptism by water. This is him. This is the son of God. Right here he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a beautiful, beautiful verse. Now look at verse 30. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So I want to dig into these following verses because there's, there's so much here. And sometimes, you know, at face value, you've got to read a little bit more. Sometimes this, this might not make sense at face value. He says something very interesting here, John the Baptist does. You know, think about this. He says, he existed before me, or he was before me. Now, John is the son of Elizabeth. If you read the other Gospels, you'll see more details about John the Baptist, where he's from, what his life is like. He's the son of Elizabeth, a relative of Jesus's mother, Mary. John was actually born before Jesus. You know that from reading the other Gospels. Luke chapter 1 talks about that. So through the statement, John, the author of the book, is emphasizing here what he opened the book with. He's emphasizing that Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus has always been with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was before John, even though John was born, or even though Jesus was born as a man after John. Jesus was before any created thing, because as we learn in the opening of the book, Jesus is the creator of all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so John says, behold the Lamb of God who created all things, who was and is and is to come. Jesus was before John the Baptist. Look at verse 31. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, here's another puzzling statement. Why would he say, I myself didn't know him? It's puzzling. How could John the Baptist say he didn't know Jesus? He was a relative of Jesus. So it seems likely that they would have known, he would have known him or at least known about him. Mary went and visited with Elizabeth for, for months. 
And so you would think he would at least know about Jesus. What John the Baptist is saying here is that he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah at first. In fact, it's likely that not anyone knew that. Maybe only his parents would have known that. And that only by direct revelation from the angel of God who told them. And here I see echoes of Isaiah 53. We see here that there was really nothing about Jesus's physical appearance, the way he carried himself, the way he acted, that would have made anyone think he was something great. If you read the Gospels, you also see, like, isn't that Jesus from Nazareth? Don't we know his family and his brothers and sisters? Yet, Jesus, really? Like, people are puzzled. Him? The Messiah? No way. Not Jesus. Isn't he the son of a carpenter? You know, like, people didn't get it. And, and we see that in Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. He says he, he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. You know, he's not the one standing like head and shoulders above the rest, you know, with the, the dashing jawline and, you know, the, the chiseled face and physique. And, you know, there's nothing about Jesus physically and his looks or, or even the way he's talking or anything that, that makes you desire him. Matter of fact, he's probably one of the, you know, if you're looking at these texts, he might have been the shortest guy around. We don't know. But, but that's what the texts are emphasizing. 